0: And medallion status is really, you know, about the d- the dwindling of fame. And, you know, that's not a particularly, on its face, a relatable issue. Not a lot of people got to be on The Daily Show and then went on a computer ads and had this unexpected on-screen life that then sort of over a course of a number of very happy years normalizes. And, you know, I, I kind of got kicked off television to some degree and... And that and that's a that's a very specific story and it's my story and yet we do wrestle all of us wrestle with loss of status.
1: Hello everybody, welcome to 15 minutes a podcast about fame which is never 15 minutes long and is not just about fame. This is episode 72, I'm Jamie Berger. My guest today is John Hodgman and much to the chagrin of Hodgman superfans, I can't just dive into the conversation without introducing John because I know this is gonna sting, but some people don't know who John Hodgman is. So I'm gonna tell you right from his own website, John Hodgman is a writer, comedian, and actor. Most recently, he's the author of the acclaimed collection of funny, true stories called Vacationland. And it's much more than funny. It's it's poignant and powerful and wonderful, and you should all get it. But he has a new book coming out called Medallion Status, and we're going to talk a lot about that today. But back to the text I have here on the screen. He also wrote three books of fake facts and invented trivia, all of them New York Times bestsellers. And his writing has also appeared in the Paris Review, This American Life, The New Yorker, and Mad Magazine. After an appearance to promote his books on The Daily Show, he was invited to return as a contributor, serving as the show's resident expert and deranged millionaire for several years. For the past nine years, he's also been the host of the popular and wonderful Judge John Hodgman podcast, I added the wonderful, where he settles serious disputes between real people. He also contributes a weekly column under the same name for the New York Times Magazine. He is also the host of the new viral Instagram live show, Get Your Pets, which we will talk about. On top of all that, some of you may first and best know John as the PC in the I'm a PC, I'm a Mac, Apple commercials, which no one under 35 knows what we're talking about when we mention them. So John was the very first guest on this podcast and after this episode I'll be reposting that episode one which included a an impromptu uh live Judge John Hodgman um meetup in Turner's Falls Massachusetts but when I read about medallion status coming up I knew it was time to have him back so let me read what John had to say on his website about medallion status. My new book is called Medallion Status, True Stories from Secret Rooms. It's a book of funny, honest stories about the period of my life when I flew across the country over and over again for a TV show. It hurt my family for me to be away so much, but it didn't matter because I earned the love of a major airline, Delta, who awarded me a platinum medallion. It's your basic minor fame to no fame Hollywood memoir, with some peeks into the secret clubs and hidden rooms that Celebrity allowed me to briefly peek into. All right, let's wrap this intro by telling you that, according to the starred review in Booklist, Hodgman offers thoughtful musings about human nature and our drive for status, an endearing and entertaining entry from the author of Vacationland. John and I talk about statuses of all sorts, about the curse of creativity, We take a little behind-the-scenes glance at the How the Judge John Hodgman podcast gets made. We talk about my late great dog, Bo, and a little about Montague Center, Massachusetts, and the Lady Kilgrew Cafe, where we first met about 15 years ago, when I was a grad student in the writing program at UMass, and he was finishing his uh, first book, Areas of My Expertise. And he went on to write three books like areas of my expertise. And I went on to take a little 10 year digression that we do talk about for a minute and various secret goings on in secret rooms. And of course, lots and lots about medallion status, which you should all pre order at bit.ly/slash medallion status before September 15th, because that really helps authors out a lot if you're planning to buy the book. John and I spoke on the phone and the Skype in late September and early October. Jamie, can you hear me? John, I can hear you perfectly clearly and the little the little bars are bouncing around.
0: Good. Let me let me open up my garage band so that we can record together. Oh great. I will record. This is um, It's still called 15 minutes, right?
1: It is.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's great. And I'm making this change. Thanks for your patience while I was Finishing up something else and monitor on. Good. I like to be able to hear myself. And this is John Hodgman rolling in Brooklyn on 15 minutes with Jamie Berger. I'm your guest, John Hodgman.
1: And I'm your host, Jamie Berger.
0: Take it away, Jamie.
1: All righty. My old friend. Well, John, you, you, you were the first. We recorded about four years ago, about this time of year. When you were returning from the escape from fame life in Maine, heading back to the city, uh, and you were you, you came and, and did an impromptu, Judge John Hodgman at the rendezvous, the bar and restaurant I used to co own, used to. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you know that.
0: I didn't know that you had moved on from I have the, the, the always lucrative and yeah. certainly yeah. easy life of owning and managing a bar and restaurant.
1: Everyone should please note that there, that the sarcasm in that tone, I hope. Yeah, I think um, it was pretty clear. Okay, if, if it wasn't, I, I just wanted to make it very clear. But that day, you said a couple of things that I think are great to talk about in terms of um, medallion status.
0: Yeah, my new book
1: by yeah. John Hodgman,
0: Medallion Status.
1: Yes, which you have been relentlessly on the pre-publication promotion online tour this past week. Pre
0: pub pre pub plug. Pre pub yes. plugging. Always be plugging.
1: Last week I, I caught you little bits of, of a couple different times you were you were doing the reading of the audiobook, uh, live, live casting. Live
0: on different on different social media networks. I did I read I read it for an hour. I, so I just finished reading the uh the odd sorry narrating the audiobook reading the book into a microphone for the audiobook and I live streamed from the audio booth 1 hour uh, each of the 3 days I was doing it on different social media platforms for those of you who didn't understand what was happening
1: the 3 the 3 main ones yep um, are you going to continue um, live streaming up till pub date and and beyond
0: well you know you know Jamie it was on day 3 of the live stream um, that, uh, when I was on Instagram, which is, uh, one of the, uh, you can follow me on Instagram at John Hodgman, uh, Instagram.com slash John Hodgman, if you want. But I remember I had, I had forgotten, but I remembered that, uh, on day three, that earlier in the spring when I was pr- promoting my podcast network and our pledge drive, I had done just sort of on improv, a thing on Instagram live where, I interviewed people's pets. <laughs> I was I going didn't to get under- to that, yeah. Yeah, what I didn't understand was if you – on Instagram Live, I don't know if this is true of any of the other live streaming within social media apps or whatever, but like people can ask to join your live stream and if you approve them, they will pop up in like split screen. So all of a sudden it's a two-way conversation that everyone is watching and, and this happened by accident and someone had a cat or a dog. I don't even remember how it started. But I did a couple of these live streams where I would interview people's pets and them too obviously and i ju- i just got i you may or may not know that right before this conversation or a little bit before this conversation I just did an hour of get your pets with john Hodgman i my new instagram live show
1: <laughs> yes i was on there i i i, oh, okay. uh, I i'm sorry I, I, I didn't say hi that's okay you you did you quoted my you get out your critters um, oh that was you that was me that was the I fifteen minutes uh,
0: Oh, of course. I should have, you know, it's just a lot. Let me tell you something, Jamie
1: listeners.
0: (laughs) When I do get your pets with John Hodgman, my new live Instagram show. Your new career. Whereas my new, I do. It occurred to me that it was like, Oh, this, this may be it. I mean, I, (laughs) like, as I said on the live stream, like I used to be on cable television, one of the top, top shows of cable comedy one of the most iconic comedy shows of the past 25 years. The, the Daily Show with Jon Stewart. That was me uh. going to the Emmys with Jon Stewart being flown across the country. Never mind all of my other guest starring roles on different television shows as a mustache creep of one kind or another. Uh-huh. You know, I was staying in fancy hotels and now I'm talking to pets on Instagram Live and it could very well be it could be the most important work i've ever done and i'm definitely going to tell you that if i i believe firmly i was just i'm i'm obviously in the midst of thinking about it but if i did if i did get your pets on instagram every every day like for an hour mm-hmm, every day mm-hmm. um th- it would be my new career easily uh, it could quickly. be the most very
1: monetizable quick. was what i was going to
0: yes i think say. you're right I think you're right. And oh. I'm not I'm not announcing anything right now. Right. Don't, I'm don't right. yeah. Keep, am, I'm, not, I'm a little scared of the, of how how big a change in my life that yeah. would be if I were to become know, a professional live streamer. Yeah.
1: Let it simmer, talk to the family. It would be
0: a it would be admitting that something has changed yes. in my
1: life. But it's funny because <laughs> It, all kidding aside, though the lucrative—I'm not part of, kidding. I'm not kidding <laughs> about any any of it. I, I okay, okay, good. Well, I, I will. Well, then I want to be on eventually with Mario, uh, my dog. Yeah,
0: because I I have not, I don't know that I've met Mario. And of course, we we became acquainted initially right. via you the, knew Beau. The, the late Bo, one of yeah. the great
1: pets of all time. It's so true. Yeah, uh, I Miss Bo. Sure it was when we both were writing at the Lady Kilgrew Cafe in the Montague Bookmill in Montague, Massachusetts. That's right. Okay. Run by Sarah Reed, who went with you to the Emmys.
0: Yeah, Sarah did come with me to the yes. Emmys one year. Yes, um, my my wife had got tired of going. <laughs> it's kind of a tire. It's kind of a tiresome affair, and it was so much fun to take Sarah because she got to see all of her favorite TV stars mm-hmm. walking around, which is what the Emmys is. Yeah,
1: but but uh, the the money part made me think of something. I it gives me that. Uh, speaking of segues. <laughs> Yeah, um, I love it. Uh, That's a great segue. Speaking of segues, I was really surprised on yes to hear you say that Vacation Land was your first book that had not become a New York Times bestseller. It is to me. It, I think it's an extraordinary book. Thank you very much. And I think I it's it, it the way it's reviewed and marketed was about being about Maine and 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 about Massachusetts and not being in the city, but it also has some really good white male addressing of privilege and stuff that, that it's snuck in there. And, and I think it's just great stuff. And I I love it. I hope you do more because you're addressing it really well.
0: Uh, I appreciate that. I mean, I think that, that, uh, uh, that, the issue of privilege, I mean, actually it comes from a time when I was, doing vacation land essentially as stories on stage and just starting to work out some of the stories that ended up being in vacation land back when i did a lot more touring imitation stand-up comedy or whatever and i was in san i was in santa fe performing at the cocteau uh, movie theater which is the movie theater owned by george rr R. martin and george rr R. martin had uh, summoned me to santa fe for a <laughs> you know, a command performance for the, for the King of the Seven Kingdoms. And of course I said, yes, my liege. And, um, and we did two shows and because it's such a small theater and it was me and John Roderick, the musician and, uh, and raconteur and podcaster and friend of mine. And he, he came along and I told some of these stories about Maine and, um, you know, va- va- vacationing in Maine and, um, the, the dilemma of, of, uh, well, I hadn't, I, I don't think I had. We hadn't bought a house in Maine at that point. We're just spending extra time there. But you know the dilemma of having a a place to go in the summer. Luckily, the the home in Western Massachusetts that I inherited from my mother, and then taking a break in the middle of the summer to go rent a place in Maine, <laughs> like taking a vacation from the vacation. And John Roderick was the one who very very uh, astutely back announced me by saying, "Ladies and gentlemen, the privilege comedy of John Hodgman." I'm like, "Oh, right. You're right." That's, yeah. That's, Harsh but true. Yeah, you know, I am telling. And so, you know, once Vacation Land became a a full one-person show, and that really didn't mature until 2015, once we had in fact bought a home in Maine and and sort of started to settle there and leaving Western Massachusetts to some degree behind, very sadly, that kind of the <laughs> this this the sad dilemma of my life is I have two summer homes. Like, yeah, and it was always the best part of the show to say that and then just let that sink into the audience for a while because they get tricked into caring about me too. You know, I care about myself and they get tricked into following along and then you know I pull back the curtains like the the central conflict of this show is that I have two summer homes. Are you enjoying Are you enjoying my relatable comedy show? Yes. Yeah. So you know, it, it was, in, and then in particular, once, once vacation Land, the show was roundly rejected by anyone who might film it. And I was trying to decide what to do with this piece of work that I liked a lot. It occurred to me, oh, I should write it as a book. And that, and that by then it was, we were, you know, going through the, the election in 2016 and then the post-election, uh, that continues to this day. But, you know, the book came out in late 2017 and, it wasn't that I was setting out to address privilege or white privilege in particular, but it, it was true that I was thinking a lot about how, you know, we were, we were being shown us white guys, what we hadn't allowed ourselves to see before, which is we are trained and brought up through everything we see and read and culture and television and movies for the past 50 years to imagine, you know, white guys are always the hero of the story. They're Mm -hmm. also the villains too, but the, the, the character that you relate to in in most most movies and television in mainstream culture for the past 50 to 100 years in, I'm talking about film stuff, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. Never mind books, but it's the same, right? You know, white guys are the heroes. And it's very hard for, as you can tell, for a lot of white guys to accept not always, you know, and often and, and maybe never really, you know, so historically white guys have done a lot of damage um, that uh, that we're, we've not owned up to and, and that society is still trying to heal from. And we're in the midst of white guys doing a lot more damage right now in real time. So it was unavoidable that it would come up in, in vacation land, just as it is, well, n- neither book is about that. It is it is a it is a it is a thread in medallion status as well
1: absolutely and it's it's subtly and poignantly a serious point in 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 two books that have a lot of light and funniness to them
0: i'm uh, glad you thought they were funny I, I, I think they're pretty funny i don't know we'll see oh yeah
1: i think like i feel like vacation land was a little more contemplative and serious and this is funnier
0: oh i'm glad you th- i'm glad you think so cuz yeah. right great okay cool i that's mean
1: that's my feet yeah you know.
0: That's... Yeah, but I mean we'll put a pit in that for a second, but that's the reason why Vacation Land was not on the bestseller list, among other things, is that people don't really know what it is. And <laughs> yeah. neither neither do I. It just is what it is. Mm-hmm. And it's hard it's a little bit hard to it, you know, it's not very user friendly because it, it veers between obvious sort of comedic essays and then stuff that's more much more personal or has a point of view. And medallion status is really you know about the d- the dwindling of fame and you know that's not a particularly on its face a relatable issue not a lot of people got to be on the daily show and then went on a computer ads and had this unexpected on-screen life that then sort of over a course of a number of very happy years normalizes and you know i, I kind of got kicked off television to some degree and and that and that's a that's a very specific story and it's my story and yet we do wrestle all of us wrestle with loss of status as we get older or you know we get passed over for jobs the the juice that we had when we were young kind of dissipates parents are always someone a, a very smart interviewer at Publishers Weekly pointed out like there's a lot of parenting stuff in this new book mm-hmm. and it's true that you know when you are a new parent, you are the most famous person in the universe to, to that child. You know what I mean. So, and then as they get older, uh, your show gets canceled, and it's their show now. So, and of course, the big the big issue is you know the reason that there is Trump to some degree is that a lot of white guys are feeling their status slipping in this country as it becomes more diverse. Yeah. And they don't like it and they are, and they lash out, you know, when people lose status, they get dangerous.
1: Yeah. Among the Sorry, reasons I was talking there for a long you time. You were talking, it was good stuff though. I, I had many thoughts that drifted in and out of my head during Yeah, Well, it.
0: I should have been quiet. You know, I shouldn't have just talked over you. No, no,
1: you didn't. You didn't. Um, but the, back to that very first time we sat at the bar and we talked for 15 minutes. Exactly. It seemed like you had mapped it out and one of the things that you asked me has been an uh, unspoken, seminal part of this, this podcast uh, about fame that I've said to a lot of people, and, and I feel like some people don't believe it when I say it, but I feel it with all my heart, especially going on four years into making this, that I want to make things that people appreciate. I don't ever want to be the person recognized on the street, and I did get to experience it in a small-town way. And now I am mm-hmm. trying to I'm trying to do what you are uh, in in the tiny in the microcosm to to get away from. You asked me when I said I don't want that. You said, "Don't you like getting free drinks and tables at restaurants?" <laughs> Which is a really hard to argue with. But 4 years later, I think my answer is no. Oh, really? Okay. I feel like I'm not getting them on my merits and and I don't enjoy myself and I feel self-conscious.
0: Well, and also you were you were a restaurateur yourself, so you you had the opportunity for free drinks and and tables. You could you could curate you could curate that world for yourself.
1: But... Yeah, but I mean when I went elsewhere in our little world, I didn't right. like and I didn't like also in these 10 in those 10 years, I would there were more and more people who knew me who I didn't know Mm -hmm. because I'm terrible uh, at that kind of thing. And I know, you know, my job was to go around and say hello to people when I was, when I was in the bar, when I was in the restaurant. Right. And, and people see you like they know you, but I didn't know them and I always wasn't comfortable with that. Yeah. good. Well, I'm glad,
0: I'm glad that you were not, um, (laughs) tempted to the sick addiction that is well
1: that that is not to say i'm not tempted or jealous but the sick addiction is really interesting because that was what i was going to talk about the whole the whole book in terms of in an instagram chat the uh before you started recording last week might be going on two weeks ago you said two things that are kind of the crux of the book to me oh thanks for paying attention lead to a particular part of the book that uh we'll talk about later in a few minutes but one is that you said when someone asked about how you feel, uh, I don't know, you said about being on TV, television is how you know you're alive.
0: I was making a joke, but yes, right.
1: You were, but then you went on to say that television doesn't really exist anymore. But in a more serious note, you said the books are my, life, wor- my life's work. And I feel like television is the monkey on the back of being the writer in your case.
0: Well, I f- I found being on television, aside from being wildly unpredicted in my career path and surprising, um, I found it to be a lot of fun. And, you know, when I say that the books are my life's work, as I sort of allude to in, the, in the, the very end of Medallion Status and the acknowledgements, like, you know, if you pro- if you process the world, if you if you write things and you do right, everyone does, everyone makes up stories in their head about where they are in this world and they have to to make sense of what's going on around them. Right. And if you are a writer and, you know, it's a it's an, it's, it's and you're aware of it and you do it for a living or you do it as a passion or a hobby. You know, it's like seeing the connections and things, making connections, crafting stories, crafting narratives, even even if you don't write them down, if your brain is attuned that way. It's in a very heightened way to live, but it's not a lot of fun. <laughs> I mean, it's just, there are people, I it, it only came to me in my 40s, I think, before I stopped and realized that um, n- not everybody has, not everybody's creative, and it doesn't make them unhappy or less, you know, less engaged or less, incredible in their own individual ways. It's just not everybody suffers this (laughs) curse of connecting, connecting real life experience and making it into stories in your head and then occasionally getting them down onto paper or whatever it is. You can lead a very happy and unmediated life. That seems like such a effing relief to me. And for me being on television and performing other people's words um whether that is in acting or you know on the daily show I would co-write those sketches with the daily show but by the time it was time to be on television it was about performance it wasn't about writing do you know what i mean yeah that was really fun for me to not have to think as in the in the same way that i was used to thinking you know yeah. and it was very very rewarding and it, it, just a real like you know, if you're the if you're the writer on a thing, you have a real responsibility. But you know, if you're a part of the interpretive arts, if you're an actor or a musician who isn't performing their own stuff, you know, you can be very much more, much less mediated between the world around you. You have to sort of, as an actor, you have to memorize your lines and do your things. But you're you're channeling something, and it's a much more um, you're, you're, you're channeling someone else's words. You're, you're interpreting it, but you're not originating it and it's fun. Yeah. And then especially, and you're in the moment, like a, it's fun cause they give you food and they treat you nicely pretty, pretty, pretty much if you're an actor and you know, you can get pretzels anytime you want. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and if you are famous at all, you, maybe you will get a, like a free drink or something and that's nice. And when people will say hi to you and they say, I like you cause you're on television and here you are in front of me. It's an amazing magic trick. But then personally it's it's extremely it's a very peaceful way to be that is less of the rant like the rambling you hear now, listener, this is in my head all the time. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And it's not always a lot of fun. Yeah. To 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 have this. I mean, it's a gift that has allowed me to forge a career for myself. And I will never I will never um I will never put it down or think of it ill, but it is not. It is not always a lot of fun to hear this voice in your head all the time.
1: Yes, I I echo. About 15
0: about 15 <laughs> yeah. minutes. Yeah, I know you can you can't stand my voice either. Mm, I understand. That your is head.
1: not what I meant and you know that very well.
0: 15 minutes is a, is a good cutoff.
1: <laughs> yeah. You were you were talking a lot about in the book there's some great stuff on being an accidental actor and that and one particular director. Yeah, uh, calling you to task. It's great, great. That's a great segment with a couple. Uh, the the idea of getting smaller and <laughs> your struggle to avoid the camera. And there's one line from that that I thought was the funniest line in the whole book, and no one's going to get if I say it, so they're going to have to go read the book.
0: No, no. I I, I need to hear what you
1: oh. what you think is the funniest line in the book. Cause well, it's it's not going to come off as, as that extremely funny. But where is That's it? I'm pretty up.
0: much, pretty much the definition.
1: Of no, one, so. no, I think pretty much the definition of of what you do is on page in my galley's one eighty three. The conversation between you and LL Cool J. Oh yeah, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, that
0: was at the Emmys. That yeah. was at the
1: yeah. Yeah, the book has a lot of you saying hello to people and being said hello to by both. Yeah, people in. In a certain immediate power to get you the, a good room with a balcony and a hotel to strangers. Ah, wait. But first, I found the funniest line. Ah, funniest in the line, book. everybody. Page 37 Say, in the gallery. Close
0: your, close your wallets. Do not go to bit.ly slash medallion status and pre order medallion status because you're about to hear the best part. Yes,
1: you won't need to after this. All right. Wait. Go do it. Doogie, please resign to my Emai. <laughs>
0: I'm glad that hit you. I, I'll, I'll I'll let everyone know. A little behind the scenes fact: that's not the funniest line in the book by far.
2: <laughs>
0: there are many, many others, but it's funny to hear what hits an oh. individual person. That is the that is the actual tweet that I tweeted in the middle of a scene. Mm-hmm. Um, the this as I describe in medallion status that are I worked for a while on to, on this uh, television show called Married on FX and I had I was sort of the the third best friend of the main character and the main character or the male lead at least and I were going to a frat house to get some money we were owed and Doogie wasn't around and as we're storming out I say I don't know how to solve this I'll tweet angrily <laughs> at him and and I do it and, and and immediately the director sh- she yells cut your tweeting is fake. Uh She could see from like, you know, 15 feet away. She's like that. Your tweet acting is terrible. And it was, it was, I was just, I was just typing in nonsense letters. I wasn't, I wasn't doing it. she said, type in real words, like pretend that you're actually doing it. I'm like, Oh, that's an interesting acting hack. Right. I will. And so I did. And that I couldn't, I couldn't type very well, but I actually got on my Twitter account on the on the prop phone and started starting tweeting like Doogie, where is our money? Doogie, please pay us back. But of course, there were a lot of typos and stuff.
1: So uh, I'm glad you enjoyed that. I did, I did, and you resorted to method. Uh, yeah, you did the real thing.
0: Yeah, it never occurred to me to just do the real thing. And you know, she, I, 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 uh, I. I do not name the director in the book. I don't name a lot of people in the book and it's not, not for any one reason or another, but, um, uh, she's a really talented person and I really appreciate what she did for me by basically, you know, there's a point in the book talking about the imposter syndrome and how everyone believes that they're an imposter. Yes. And how, you know, you shouldn't let that, you know, don't, don't get psyched out if you feel like you're, you're, you know, punching above your weight or whatever they say, because everyone feels that way. Even like uh, 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 Neil Armstrong, first person to walk on the moon felt that way. That's sort of the point of the story. And I'm like, that's true. But yeah, sometimes you are an imposter. Sometimes you're faking it. And sometimes it's, it's often good to have someone call you out and say, you're faking it. Like, do the work. And it's like, it's clarifying. And it was a big, a big moment for me. That's why call-out culture is terrific. Everyone's like, oh, boy, call-out culture is terrible. It's like, no way. I've been called out, and every time I've been called out for saying something wrong or thinking something wrong or, you know, whatever it is, I might not like the tone of the person who's yelling at me, but I'm seeing what I'm doing from a different point of view, and that's valuable to me. That's a gift.
1: Yes, and it's a gift to to get older and learn how to be able to take it that way. Yeah, exactly. I feel like I've gained a lot in these past few years and listening to, uh, on social media and other places where I have been a not all men right. guy at times.
0: Right. Right. You
1: know, not anymore. But, and I've been, yeah, you, you the point is taken. Just, yeah. sh- just shut up for now.
0: Yeah. Some, sometimes it's just good to listen. That's been a very valuable thing. It doesn't really show itself in this interview where I'm just talking and talking, but you
1: know, you're, you're, you know, you're doing fine. I feel like you've heard and, and responded to everything I have asked you.
0: Thank you. I mean, the value, the value in being called out, right, in person or online, if it's in your work is is shoddy and someone says, you know what, your work is shoddy. It feels terrible, right? Or, you know, you say something that, like, is insensitive in a way that you don't even think to believe is insensitive, and someone says hey what you're saying is like offensive to me like you you will you will naturally and this white white dudes are famous for this on the internet get you know your hackles up and go no you're wrong because of x y and z but it's like actually yeah well actually i'm the i'm the hero how are you how can you say that about me but that but the re, the value of that that i think it most white guys and i think there's a reason that white guys tend to, to ignore this anyway, is that you know someone who's cr- critiquing you they're seeing you, they're seeing what you're doing and they're offering you something back. And that's, you know, I opened the book with someone recognizing me in Maine and, you know, it's an awkward moment because my wife and I are having this, you know, fight, this irrational fight because our, our, our car dropped its heating core and it was this gross liquid that we didn't understand. It felt like our Jeep was bleeding to death and we were freaked out. And all of a sudden, these these young couple come up and go, it's John Hodgman. I'm like, oh, the worst possible time. But um, it's great. It's still good to be seen because most people in the world aren't seen. Yes. And and it's a gift. It's a gift to be seen both positively and negatively.
1: And it's a really nice little uh, way to begin with that trope because – over and over in the book after that it's the one time when you're like someone saying it's John Hodgman is not what you wanted to hear <laughs> you know it whether depends. it's whether it's a woman at the well at that moment though you seemed right. like you were like oh fuck right but whether it's John Lithgow or a woman at the host stand generally it's something that you really like and uh, yeah i'm claiming i don't like it in a sense but if i there ever came a day when i wrote a book that was lauded and somebody came up to me and said are you jamie berger i think i would like it much more so i i, I want to hedge I'm, I'm not i'm not saying i'm immune to that <laughs> by any means
0: it is a weird it is a weird side effect of renown fame i don't i hesitate to say fame because there's real real fame you know but like I went through a really psychedelic experience of going on television in my mid-30s, not having planned for a career in that world. And it was not normal for people to see my face and know my name before I had introduced myself to them. And that was a very strange – it was very, very strange to be in the gifting lounge at the Emmys, having – you know, walking through their swag area and seeing John Lithgow who – was one of what is and was one of my favorites, you know, Dr. Emilio Lizardo from Buckaroo Bonsai look you in the eye and say, it's John Hodgman. Mm -hmm. Like that's surreal and surreally, you know, pleasant, you know, that's fun. Yeah. That's the, that's better than getting a free drink, but you know, it still was unsettling. And it sounds like to me, like you're saying that, if someone were to say it's Jamie Berger, you like, you're like, if I were to write a book, you just said, if I were to write a book that I was proud of and mm-hmm. someone knew my name, I, that would be good. Mm-hmm. But yeah. it sounds like you're worried that you're not proud of the work that you've done that people might recognize you from.
1: I think that's fair, if I'm being honest. Oh, wow. That's heavy. Let's get deep. Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't think we can. Okay. We'd have to talk about the bar and I can't. Oh, okay. uh, right. Uh and that that was a detour, that was a ten year detour. you know, I was in grad school for creative writing when I fell into that right and right. while it, there have been great things in the, that ten years, it was a it was it' was forty to fifty those are big years,
0: yeah, so yeah.
1: and I'm starting to rebound and I'm starting to write a little again, and I've been doing good. this so so i'm feeling I'm feeling good, but that is a dark little spot <laughs> um
0: i'm sorry I'm sorry that that was a dark spot, and you know, I think it's It's been a while since I've been in the bar, but I think you created something pretty special, uh, co-created, created, curated.
1: Thanks. thanks something a lot. pretty I...
0: special there that that you should feel proud of, even though I can also appreciate, as I discuss in the book, like, you know I, I talk a lot about all the different jobs I had from age eight through yeah. thirty five before I started out being a professional writer and then accidental actor and comedian or whatever. and you know, the, the job, the, a lot of them were crummy jobs, but the worst job was probably the most pleasant one I had, which was working at the literary agency for seven years. And the reason it was the worst was that I knew that I didn't want to do that for the rest of my life, but I was afraid to quit.
1: And it became a,
0: a – that's the worst job when you know you need to be out and you can't bring yourself to get out.
1: Yes. You know? It's interesting you bring that one up. The, the, the section about jobs I found very interesting because it, it made clear that you like to work for one thing. But that particular job, even when we we knew each other or saw each other more often years, a few years back, I never realized, and I I, I try not to do this with guests, like we have so much in common, but I do actually know you. So you finished college and went and worked in a literary agency and realized you didn't want to be a literary agent. I finished college and went and worked at Grove Press and New Directions for my first jobs the end of Grove Press with Barney Rossett, the original, I mean, the two best publishers I would ever want to work for. Right. And learned that I didn't want to be an editor. (laughs) Uh, Right. And, you know, ended up leaving the city and going to San Francisco.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it's it's hard when you, when you know in your heart that, you know, you want to be doing something other than what you're doing. Yeah. And um, especially if it's a, you know, a job out of college and it's, you feel maybe you feel lucky that you have a job of any kind. And especially if, you know, you like me kind of like convinced yourself, oh, no, I would be very happy in the literary world working mm-hmm. in yeah. book publishing, you know, and then you realize you're not. That's a hard, you know, knowing knowing what's going on in your own head is very challenging. <laughs> and no and and tuning into what is what is really making you happy and what is fake making you happy that's a that's, it's a hard thing to do and um,
1: yeah and it is if life goes well one of the pleasures of aging to get better
0: You're Really talking a lot about aging Boy,
1: uh, We both I, are, you aging? Uh-huh. are you no, aging? No, no you I'm I'm, oh, not. I'm talking about you. <laughs> I'm no, no you misunderstand. I'm not aging. All right, well, let's just move on. I've come back to and have been kind of binging and really enjoying the podcast uh, Judge John Hodgman, which thank you. uh, I I don't know how I somehow left a while back and
0: well, it's been going on for nine years. I in no way expect people to be fully cognizant of the entire body of work. I don't remember most of them, so
1: you know. Recently, there was one that I loved, which was the for one. It was the, the 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 gambling one, and there are two reasons. One. Is the scene from Lost in America? I knew the answer uh, to the quote because that is an I love that that heartbreaking, hilarious scene uh, in Lost in America.
0: If everyone go, everyone go to your YouTube right now and dial up uh, Albert Brooks Lost in America. Um, Gary, Gary Marshall. Marshall. That's Gary with two R's. It's an incredible scene in which Albert Brooks is playing an Albert Brooks type character whose wife just went on a gambling binge in this las vegas hotel and lost all their money in the
1: world that they had just quit their yuppie jobs to drive across country and start a right. life.
0: <laughs> right and albert brooks is is taught is caught in this meeting with the owner of the hotel or the manager or whatever played by gary marshall and he's trying to convince him to give the money back <laughs> yeah. it's just like no this is you'll be you'll be it'll be a big story you'll be on a billboard you're the one who gave the money back he's like no yeah. it's We don't give money back. Sorry. No,
1: it's so wonderful, so deadpan. It's so great. great. In that episode, it's just sometimes you have people on who are just so wonderfully comfortable and naturally funny. Uh, Another one is the woman, the circus performer guy, and his wife. But that's another one. Uh, But these two sisters, who are the one sister and the other sister's best friend, bet on. Events in the in the in the one sister's life, and and you're hmm. adjudicating whether they should be allowed to do that. They just had such a rapport; it seemed like they had practiced for months. That <laughs> didn't seem that way, but in retrospect, it was like this is great stuff.
0: Well, thank you. Yeah, yeah that was a controversial uh, decision. <laughs> and I, you know, basically the 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 Judge John Hodgman. If you are listening, if you only know me from Get Your Pets, my live Instagram shows sweeping the. Sweeping the internet. P- pending. You may not know that for the past nine years I've hosted a weekly podcast called Judge John Hodgman in which people call in with real life disputes you know, between siblings, between spouses between parents, friends, whatever and I I listen to both sides and say who's right and who's wrong and this was one where the sister there are two sisters uh, and one of the and the sister who brought the case against her sister is that learned that her sister behind her back was, was making bets on the first sister's life choices. So like, would Maria move to Tacoma or something? Yes or no. And Maria's sister was betting with a mutual friend as to like, you know, a a burrito, like I bet a burrito she won't. And the, when Maria found out about this, she was like, this is really weird that you're betting on me. Please stop it. Or at least let me know that you're doing it. Because that was the thing. She wasn't kept in the loop. And I and I, I ruled that they could still do it, just yes, as long as Maria it, knew.
1: When it began, I was like, this is awful. He better rule that they can't do it. But by the end, they, they clearly are two sisters who are – they have fun with this.
0: Yeah. Maria just wanted to be in on the fun. Yeah. You know, I I don't think she felt completely dehumanized, if anything <laughs> – The sister bet, like she felt bereft of her sister's guidance in life because the sister was making side bets on Maria's life choices.
1: And thus had a stake beyond what was best for her sister.
0: Yeah, and was keeping keeping her advice, her opinions, you know, to herself so as not to mess up the bet. So I ended up, I ended up ruling that the sister and the friend could still bet on Maria's Stuff, But the sister had to let Maria know what her bet was. And, you know, because the sister has a job to to bet on Maria
1: all the time. How was this controversial? Did you get feedback?
0: Yeah. One person wrote in very upset, like that I that I was contributing to this, the dehumanizing bullying of the older sister to Maria
1: and stuff like that. At the beginning of the episode, I thought I might feel that way. And by the end, I did not.
0: It's a valid way. I mean, it's a valid response. And I just had to say, you know, Maria said she was okay with this. And um, I had to take her at her word. Um, And then I but I also wanted to set up an online betting betting system.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, you really
0: like a market (laughs) system like they do for like in trade or whatever.
1: Yes. You kind of upped the ante. Yes.
0: Yeah. I wanted to create a, a whole a whole online market for betting on maria's life choices uh, and yet it, it turns out that's no longer legal <laughs> you can you can't do that anymore
1: but it's it you felt out the people you were is there a pre uh, is there any pre conversation before you you do or do you just get their email about the case and decide whether to take it or not
0: no i i review all the emails that come through and i sort them into ones that i think would be good to hear it on the podcast. And then there are other categories that are, would just be confusing at this point. But the ones that, the ones that I put into the two, cons, the, the literally called to consider seriously folder, uh, are then reviewed by our, our producer, Jennifer Marmer, and she will contact those cases and talk to those people. And she's, she will get a little bit more detail on the case
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um right. And, right. and but also she's vetting for uh liveliness basically like are they fun to talk to are they you know what i mean like
1: right and then you avoid any redundancy because you haven't spoken to them
0: no i've not i've yes. never done any pre interview of any kind for the show but it's it's i mean i know what the what the terms of the case are and you know obviously cuz i read the email and i and i prepare but I, I haven't, I don't pre-speak to them. And in fact, it's, it's, you know, I think it's unnerving for people when, when they do get on the podcast, um, when we all hook up on Skype, as you and I are doing now, um, you know, they'll be patched in and I'll be there with them. And I'm like, I don't want to be rude, but I'm I'm not going to talk to you or listen to you until we're actually recording. Cause I don't want to lose an opportunity to, you know, you don't want to keep save the magic for the air.
1: It's, it's good to know all that. I, I, I'm a fan of being in those. I I love being in green rooms. I love being in studios. I love being backstage or side of stage. That those are the secret rooms I like being in, knowing and knowing how things are made. Um, yeah. If if one wanted to say uh, get a argument with his wife adjudicated, how does one send an email into the show?
0: <laughs> uh, well, you just email me at hodgman at maximumfun dot org, which is my my maximum f- fun email and. I read everything that comes into that email address and respond to as much as I can personally. Um, you know, if you're, if you were to write in with a case, you can also go to maximumfund.org/jjho, which is a form, but you can just email me. And you know, if it, if it's a famous person
1: like Jamie Berger, t- top of the list. Uh, you, well, I was wondering if you have to rec- recuse yourself.
0: Uh, no, I would. not It's it's not. It's not an actual legal podcast.
1: All right. Good to know. Um, or if you felt the ethical need to.
0: Um, um, well, you know, I, I, again, the, the the goal of the podcast is um, is to be fun and entertaining and thought-provoking and funny. And if I felt that your uh, disagreement with uh, your wife were boring, <laughs> I would not put it I, on the podcast.
1: This asking for a friend. No, no, right. Uh, okay. <laughs> One other bit about the podcast, and then what I'd like to do is just throw a few quotes that interested me from the book out and see if there are any that you in particular wanted to talk sure. about to wrap up. I like also how the show, every now and then, will get a bit serious, the judge. And a few weeks ago, we, well, I don't want to summarize it you know, in too much detail, but there was an argument about whether a husband was being too controlling while far away from home. Yeah, we really laid into that guy. Well, you almost didn't, I thought, early. And then Jesse was like, wait a minute. This isn't cool. Because Lavar started off by being, LeVar Burton, being like, yeah, why not? So the, just
0: so the listeners understand, the, 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 the issue, so also on Judge John Hodgman, if you haven't listened, then sometimes my co-host and I, uh, my bailiff, Jesse Thorne, Um, we'll hear cases in chambers. So it's, it's like rather than have the two people who are in a dispute talking on the podcast for the 40 minutes or whatever, we go through a bunch of like letters and we sort of people write and say, I, my husband does this wrong. I think I do it right. And then we say, yeah, your husband's wrong. Usually that ends up being the case. (laughs) In this case, a woman was like, my, my husband changes, my husband travels a lot and, he, uh, I'll set the thermostat uh, for a temperature that I like, and then he'll change the thermostat setting while we're asleep from the internet, right? Because yeah. he's got a from across a wired, the
1: world. Yeah, from he a, will... he's
0: got a smart home type yes. thermostat, and and we said, uh, yeah, don't do that, dude. Yeah, like, that's fine. Yeah. And uh, and then he wrote in to defend himself because guys often who get called out like to want to defend themselves and it's perfectly natural. And he's like, no, you don't understand. She, my wife, you know, runs the air conditioning when it shouldn't happen and it's very expensive. And so I'm just turning it down to save money. And I've thought about setting a schedule for the, for the, you know, when the thermostat changes or whatever, but I haven't gotten around to it. And so so then what happened?
1: You ended up being very, you know, I felt I felt like you you turned it over to Levar,
0: right? Levar Burton of of Star Trek's and Reading Rainbow was a guest on this episode. He was listening in and commenting. Right? Whose
1: gut reaction was yeah, no big deal. And then you you started to be like, oh, I don't know. And then Jesse came in very strongly, like, okay, th- it really was a moment of this is a funny show, but I really think this is important. That this is not cool. That he does this. They need to talk it out instead of him from Indonesia controlling her life and i thought that was great but the point that ties it back to medine status and fame and the juice that you john hodgman still have and should appreciate and enjoy i is that i i sent this tweet out into the world and that was dot at jesse thorne great work sneaking in an important serious moment in this week's judge hodgman re the controlling guy Great episode all around, John. You still got that fame juice when you can just have Lavar Burton drop into your pod, pal. And that in itself is a message I want to send to you. It's nice to be able to have these people. But that my tweet got one more like than most of my tweets do, which was one like. <laughs> and it was from the one and only, with the blue check, Lavar Burton. Oh, nice! <laughs> so, so, yeah, you know, you still got the juice.
0: Lavar Burton was such a great guest. He man. was
1: terrific. He
0: was such a nice guy.
1: Uh, a friend of mine recently asked for if if, if you could name a an on uh, a television blind television characters, and and Jordy was the only one I could think of.
2: Like uh, ongoing, yeah. consistent.
1: Can you? Um,
0: Blind television character.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I think that it may be that I can think of only Jordi LaForge mm-hmm. because we're talking about LeVar Burton, and you just said that. I bet you if, yeah. if you didn't even have the LeVar prompt, I'd be like, I can't think of what is a character? What is a television show? I mean, the truth is I am aging and my... I, I, I spent about... I feel like I spent about seven minutes the other day trying to remember the name Ricky Gervais.
1: Like <laughs> I do these things all the day. It's damn getting time. really,
0: really, really bad. It's getting really bad. And I was talking to my friend Elliot Kalen. We were recording our um our side hustle podcast, iPodius, about the TV show iClaudius. That'll that'll drop this December. But like we were like okay, we both can remember. Like he created the office. Yep. He yep. I've met him many times. I was in his movie, The Invention of Lying. What is his name? I know Stephen Merchant works with it. Like, I could not get it. So who would be another TV character who's blind? There's something. There's something. Oh, I know who. Daredevil. There you go, buddy.
1: Uh Uh-huh. I'm sure someone mentioned that. I wasn't thinking that. Let me, I'm I'm slightly away from the mic because I'm looking something up. I'm leaning over here to. It was uh, was actually uh, someone you may know, Andrew Leland. From the believer oh yeah who was so, asking that yeah yeah so if anybody knows other besides those two huge blind characters on television you can go to 15 minutes and email me i
0: know um david Strathairn played a blind guy in the movie sneakers the underappreciated movie
1: sneakers didn't he wanted an ongoing tv character kind of thing
0: no i understand what andrew leland was saying so but i'm just taking an opportunity to to clue people in, go check out Sneakers. It's a good
1: movie. Uh, okay, you know. Also,
0: I think, the, I think there's a tr- there's a there's a big run about Daredevil in my book Medallion Status, which is out October fifteenth. Yes, in which I talk about how if I if I were blinded and got super smelling, I probably would not choose to fight crime. <laughs> that probably would not be my go-to. I don't see how. I don't see how having super senses and super smelling would suddenly make st- street-level human trafficking my problem. I probably would not keep it a secret and instead be studied for science to find out how to help other blind people.
1: That, that's another way to be a, another kind of superhero. Yeah. Let's see. I'm looking at my, my quotes here. I've talked about a lot of this. Good. Uh, already with you. Another of my favorite uh, sentences in the book is...
0: I like this podcast where I just call up and Mm, get flat and and
1: and hear yeah (laughs) Uh,
0: hear what people's favorite things are about me.
1: Yep. That brings up another question, but here's the sentence first.
0: All right. Give me the sentence.
1: Jessica Lang, of course, is most famous for being my imaginary girlfriend whom I met while watching the movie Tootsie. Yeah. That's true for me. When was the last time you saw Tootsie? I don't know, but it's time. It's time.
0: Boy, is she, everybody's amazing in that movie, but boy, Jessica Lange was my girlfriend. Me too. And she's great. And I saw her, I got to see her at the hotel in Los Angeles where I was staying and she was really funny. She made a really funny joke, which is probably the (laughs) funniest line in the book. And that's why it will not be revealed here. Jessica Lange's really funny joke. Okay.
1: Could the Scientology joke be revealed here?
0: What's the Scientology joke?
1: Isn't there a – is it a Scientology joke? There's a joke that you refuse to tell in the book.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, the I got in trouble with Scientology in the early 2000s when I was writing for GQ magazine. And I made – a I was commissioned to write a calendar for the front of the book, which is the part of the magazine that is a, literally the front of the book. It's like the small, the small little items, little items. Back when there were magazines, you remember what this was like when there were magazines. Yeah. The front of the book, you had like the little, little two hundred wordy things, one hundred wordy things, the five yeah. hundred wordy, wordy things,
1: maybe. Yeah, in between the stinky perfume ads. Right, and
0: my job was to write a calendar for that for that month's issue, so it would be like if we're coming out in August, I would find out interesting cultural things and festivals and and other things, and I and it was a non bylined thing, but it's like here's what's happening in August. Check this out. You still see this kind of thing like in the big in the front of a like a a Sky magazine, the Delta in-flight magazine or whatever. Like, here's what's happening in Barcelona, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever. And to make it fun and interesting for myself, I would sometimes overlap historical congruences. So uh, let's say on a certain day of the month, uh, Johannes Kepler first observed the planet Uranus, and that happened to coincide with maybe the birthday of L. Ron Hubbard, I would write a very, very, very tortured <laughs> sophomoric joke saying, you know, on this day, Uranus was first observed. And on this day, L. Ron, Hub- L. Ron Hubbard was born, who and later would pull out of his anus an entire religion called uh, Scientology. So it was a terrible, terrible joke that I hesitate to even have repeated here because I know that Scientology is watching and listening. And, and they – I'm okay with got- that
1: and you already are in trouble with them forever, so –
0: yeah, that, well, so when this thing came out in in the early two thousands, when it came out in the magazine, my editor called me and said, um, "The Church of Scientology wants to talk to you. They're very mad about that joke." And I, I didn't blame it. it; was a terrible joke, and and not you know it was it was just I mean it's cheap, and and I was like, "But I don't want to talk to Scientology." And how do they even know that I had written it? Do you know what I mean? Like it wasn't even my name in there. And this was before there was Google. I mean. This is before there was a Google alert for me or for for Scientology or L. Ron Hubbard. But they called my editor and they're like, I want to talk to him. And he said no. And and I told him I don't want to. And my editor said, that's fine. I'll protect you. And then he called again and he said they, they really want to talk to you. And I'm like, no. And he said, well, I gave him your email address. And I'm like, why did you do that? And he said, because I was scared.
1: Right. And then you, you talk about how scary it is to think that you, this this tiny little person, that they were scouring the whole world for references to Scientology to, yeah. to to let them know, as you put it, that you that they were out there,
0: just to let. You, I mean, they they wrote me and and you know I, the the email the email was lost on a computer. I, I think I can probably recover it somewhere, but I haven't seen it for a long time. But I remember it very well, and I got more than one because I didn't respond to any of them. They were long screeds, alternately accusing me of bigotry. Uh, For speaking ill of the major world religion called Scientology, and then offering me Scientology as a as a as a as as medicine for my bigotry. And um, you know who knows what they hoped to accomplish, but it did let me know that like they had they must have had, Sea Org members sitting in basements just reading through every periodical, looking to flag any mention of Scientology and and letting anyone who crossed them at that time know that they were watching. And uh, it was, that's a different kind of being seen. That's a situation where I'm not so happy that someone knew my name.
1: And yet you went on to let, was it David Reese? Yeah. Make you sneak around a Scientology compound, but we'll save that for, wait, which book is that in?
0: That's in Medallion Status. Yeah, yeah. I, I just
1: yeah. re-listened to Vacation Land while reading Medallion Status. Right. So I get a little confused. Yeah, no, David
0: Reese and I then go and visit Flag Land Base in Clearwater, Florida, while I'm on tour with the Boston Pops. It's a
1: wild scene. Creepy. When you have a next major birthday, I'm going to send you one of my... I used to work for the San Francisco Public Library, and Scientology would flood us with these gigantic, hugely colorful coffee table books. Oh, wow. Wh- which I have... So for some reason kept several of and shipped all the way back East with me when I moved back. So someday, someday, John.
0: I, I would, I I'm, I'm still fascinated by them. They're hanging in there. But if you're listening, Sea org members, I apologize for making that terrible joke. It was, it was a bad joke as a comedian or comic adjacent person. I that's it's a shameful and I'm sorry if I hurt your feelings. I'm sorry that I hurt your feelings. You know what? Being called out means listening, and I hear you, okay? You called me out. I, I, I apologize. Please don't come
1: for me. I think at this point they realize, especially as you've just written a book about your fame waning, that, that you're not worth coming after. Oh, thanks a lot, Jamie. Coming after. I'm, so, I'm trying I'm, to help here. I know it didn't lot. work. It didn't work at all. All right. As the book is coming out, to what degree do these things mean a lot to you? Sales, of course reviews, opinion of friends and family, opinion of colleagues, opinion of cultural heroes, opinion of famous people you didn't know existed. What What are the things that make you, that feel best to you when something good in those areas happen?
0: Book sales. I mean, sorry. It's
1: a great answer.
0: <laughs> I mean, I've always felt when I did my work that, i i presented it to the world when i felt it was as best as i could make it and good and worthy of sharing and after that it's other people's job to pay attention or not uh, to to get it or not to like it or not it's fine if they don't it's great if they do and i'm while well, i expressed you know obviously some sadness that vacation land unlike my first three books never broke the New York times bestseller list. It, you know, it is still the case that the people who like vacation land really like vacation. Mm-hmm. Land. They reach out to me. I know it has meant been meaningful to people, uh, in exactly the way that I hoped that it would be. And that, that there is no small number of those people. Like it's, it's not, I'm not, that feels good. Cause at least it's validation that I'm not mentally ill. Right. I'm, I, I made the connection that I wanted to make and the people who get it really get it. And it's really gratifying and it's enough, you know, it's enough. Um, I was frustrated that, uh, you know, more reviewers, reviewers tended to be a little bit glib about it and got the funny stuff, but were dismissive of the other stuff, but that's the way it goes. Reviewers have a hard job to do and they're taking in a lot of culture and, and they weren't wrong to point out as the New York times book review did that it was a, you know, a, a, a pointless little book, I think is how they oh. opened the review. And, you know, then it goes on to say, but we need more of pointless little books like this. We don't <laughs> do them that much anymore. And I'm like, yeah, but you didn't have to write that the first thing. Right. Cause that's going to, a lot of people are going to be like, that's the defining of the book. So, so, you know, the, the, it, it seems very mercenary and obviously capitalist to be like, I would like it to sell more, but I want it to sell more so that I can do more work in this vein, you know? And I, while I um, have, had a, have had a very exciting and in in many, many measurements, including financial a successful career, I mean, I, I'm, I can't retire. I have to keep creating and making things and selling it. And so, to do another book, to to to, I mean, this is being very honest with you, but you know, it's like mm-hmm. I trust that Medallion Status will connect with the people for whom it is meant to connect. I would love it if more people got into it because that's great to share that stuff. And I love it if more people bought it because if it if it doesn't perform as well as Vacation Land, um. Mm-hmm. And and Vacationland itself performed well, but not stellarly. Then it's going to be harder for me to sell another book in this vein and do it. And I might have to choose to do to deploy my efforts elsewhere, like hosting Get Your Pets, the new live Instagram TV show, <laughs> with John Hodgman.
1: So, well, as much as I'd like to see Get Your Pets thrive, I I would be, I would be very very sad if if this. Were the last book of this vein, because uh, yes, I'm one of well, those. Well, I also people.
0: don't have one right now. I don't know what it would be. Even when I was writing Vacation Land, I knew that Medallion Status was on deck. I don't have something right now on deck, but yeah, these books are these are the most unfiltered, like like my previous books, which were full of fake facts. There was still a lot of me in there, and these books are really me offering as much of myself, everything that I know and think and feel i concerned about every joke I know how to make everything I'm preoccupied with. It's me, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's not. So yeah, I would like it if the, if my putting myself out in the world were, were accepted and validated as a good thing and the, the, a, a really, a really nice review would be wonderful, but I, you know, if people like what I do, and want to support me, I really hope they will pre-order the book at bit.ly slash medallion status. You can get it at, you know, Amazon or Barnes and Noble or IndieBound will connect you to your local bookshop or call your local bookshop and pre-order it because those pre-orders is ha- are how sales build on a book. And, and frankly, I'm, I'm, it's not that I'm looking for the money. I've already got the money from this book. I'm looking towards how I'm going to, how I'm going to spend my, my time in the future. And I'd like to do more and I hope that I can.
1: Yes, uh, and I, I really hope you can too. And you've you've summed everything up so much there that I'm gonna I'm gonna leave other stuff behind, uh, and just talk without you about it in, in the oh. outro or the intro. Uh, well, I,
0: I enjoy talking to you, Jamie. I do. My 15 minutes are up. That's sort of the whole story of this book,
1: unless and, they're not. Uh, unless they're not.
0: No, no. There's always. I mean, there's always get your pets with john hodgman on instagram i swear to you this is the new thing i have to i may have to just follow i
1: mean yeah you uh have one other factual thing about the the book and the tour is you hinted about an unofficial western mass visit perhaps reading Uh, type thing
0: yeah we're we're uh, monty and monty belmonti and i are going to do something at the Shea. Great. We're trying to find a date to do that Terrific. in December. So it, uh, I think ideally it would be in December like a, a holiday Monty and Hodgman show of some kind. Oh, that's great. Um, but if it doesn't work out for December, it'll be after the New Year. So stay tuned. If you want to know more about what I'm doing in my life, you can always go to johnhodgman.com tour cool. or the best thing to do is subscribe to my newsletter bit.ly that's bit.ly slash hodgmail h-o-d-g-m-a-i-l that's hodgmail h-o-d-g-m-a-i-l and another bit.ly that i say from time to time is bit.ly slash medallion status and in that case medallion status is all capital letters
1: all one word great um so thanks again it was fun to talk
0: thank you so much it was fun Mm -hmm. to talk i agree with you
1: (laughs) (laughs) it's nice to be agreed with
0: it is and i'm glad to know your
1: name Likewise, John.
0: Thank you so much, Jamie. I really appreciate it.
1: Take care, Emma. Talk to you soon. It's become something of a 15 minutes tradition that I don't wrap something up. And if the guest is willing, I call them back and we have a little bit more conversation. And apparently it was fun to talk because John agreed and we talked a little more. Hey Janie, how are you? Hi John, how are you? Uh,
2: good. Give me one second, okay? Sure. All right.
1: All sure. right. So, after listening to our conversation back, I I had a loose end I wanted to tie up. A question I never got to that brings it all together in a nutshell. Okay.
2: Um, <laughs> I mean, the, que- the-, the question, the question might bring it all together in a nutshell. The answer might. Not I'm confident
1: the answer will. Yeah. Well, it goes back to of my I don't know 60 plus guests. You and Neil Pollock are the only people really who have who are like yes, fame. Who wouldn't want that? Lots of fun. Mm-hmm. And but I should say the book, which tiny digression, um, even though Medallion Status isn't a narrative, it, it has three narrative threats threads to me that I don't want to have a spoiler because they all come together. So if I spoil anything, you let me know after and I'll, I'll edit this.
2: I'm sure it will th- be fine. The three things You threads... don't need to edit anything. No, 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 no. I'm grateful that you dis- discerned any narrative thread whatsoever.
1: So it's oh, very excited well, to hear this. No, I, three that three I. Three strands. I really enjoyed three strands, one being, and three types of secret rooms. One being. Those in the front of airplanes and in airport lounges. Yes. Uh, one being the fame one, as mm-hmm. specifically related to, and th- the the most special of special rooms to a layperson who knows a little bit about Hollywood is Chateau Marmont. And the third being, perhaps the hardest acceptance to get, which you, which also comes to uh, fruition in the book. Up in me. Oh, you're talking about the last chapter. Uh, yes, I'm talking about right. uh, the, the most exclusive of rooms in a way. Uh, perhaps so. Or, or, or of worlds, you know, because mm-hmm. so few people are in it. Um, but what I want to talk about, of course, is, is the fame one and the fact that at, when you come to that point where in the book, and maybe you want to explain it a little better than I do, you're deciding whether to go to a party that you can't get invited to. Right at the hotel. Right. And you are, you're kind of telling yourself you're not going to go unless you get invited. But you also know that you have been a, a, a welcomed guest there and you could walk into this party.
2: Yeah, so the situation as described in the book is... And, and I don't name the hotel in the book, but I don't know why. I don't go ahead and say it. Maybe I was going to ask that. It's the Chateau Marmont, which is a, a, a famous Hollywood hotel that, that various famos go to and that i spent quite a quite a bit of time staying in long past the period where you know my, m- m- the level of my celebrity such as it was ch- justified it and that was in part because and i think it's still true that the chateau keeps its own special set of books for not i mean obviously they're going to cater to the most famous people in the world but they keep a separate ledger for the people that they just kind of have grown to like, the the weirdest and oddball novelists and fallen stars that nonetheless they still they still enjoy because you know that's the kind of place that it is and certainly was when I was there and I presume still is. It, 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 I, I, I say in the book that I have stopped going because the manager of the hotel, whom I had come to be friendly with, still has left. But um, but I did well. I'll will save that for a minute. I I, I did return. Uh, recently um, and uh, and a surprising thing happened. No, that's a tease. So if you want to throw a, if you want to throw to a, a commercial now, okay, and we're back. <laughs> so, so but but one of the last times that I spent any meaningful time at the hotel was um I was staying in in Los Angeles for a TV show job, and it happened to coincide with the Golden Globes, and um a, a person was holding big famous person party in the hotel after the Golden Globes. And the Golden Globes and all the award shows kind of end fairly early because they, they take it the whole afternoon and then people party into the night. And the whole lobby and garden of the hotel, which is normally, you know, open to obviously everyone the, who's staying there, we're going to be closed um, for this private party. And what's more, normally when you'd stay at the hotel and there was a private party, uh, there was sort of a de facto uh, understanding that if you're staying there, you can go to the party. It doesn't you don't have to be specifically invited. It's like mm-hmm. you're 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 our guests. But in this case, the host of the, of the party kind of didn't want, <laughs> for some reason, people she did not invite to show up to her party. <laughs> she did not necessarily want randos and uh, and oddballs and screw ups that the hotel likes who happened to be staying there, wandering into her most famous person in the world party or most famous people in the world party. And uh, I knew people who were going to this party. And, and, and one of them was Paul Rudd. And he's like, you, you should just come down. You know, people at this party. And I was like, I can't just come down. He's like, no one will stop you. It's it's like, not that. It's like, you know, I, 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 I've been made a monster from fame to some degree, but if I'm a monster, I'm a vampire. Right. I will suck. I will suck the fame blood out of anyone in order to feel alive and relevant, but I have to be invited across the threshold. I can't. I'm not a I'm not a I'm not some kind of fame werewolf who's just gonna turn into a creature and maraud them. because I knew that if I if I wandered down there, I knew the I knew the hostess a little bit and I knew that she wouldn't know that I she was like, I didn't invite him and that would just be humiliating and bad. So yeah. instead, of, you know, I, I I tried it was like a horror movie in the sense that I was in this I was in this castle, I was in the in the upper, upper, upper keep of this castle uh, in the Hollywood Hills, <laughs> and I had to like chain myself to the, to the radiator so that I didn't turn into a monster and go down and crash this party. Um, and I got through it and I got through the night without, without going to the party, without being invited.
1: And in the book, that feels like a a moment of triumph. And that made me, I want to ask once again about... The pursuit of fame and whether it's more of a negative, an addiction, than than a positive, in that you do seem, it feels like a triumph, and that you are moving beyond this. You you, you are making choices about not needing access to these rooms that feels like a triumph. And then there's a little shift after it that people can read about in the book that's hilarious and tragic. Yes. Oh, next yeah, yeah. Morning. There's, a,
2: there's a third act
1: yes. of the story, but
2: well, you know, you're not wrong to – I mean, I'm, in that section, I'm definitely using the language of addiction to describe what it feels like to wake up the next morning having not given in to the impulse to go down and crash a party to which I was no longer invited. And I'm speaking specifically of that party to which I was never invited and to a larger degree metaphorically the, 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 the big-time fame party. Mm-hmm. Um, that i wasn 't really quite on the list for anymore, and to wake up that next morning and I used the language specifically to say I felt cleansed, I felt like I'd kicked something yeah and and th- that's true, yeah, so you know I am purposely using the language of addiction because fame is intoxicating, and like all intoxicants, there is the peril of. Um, having a bad relationship with it, of becoming addicted, of making choices that are bad for you and the people around you in order to maintain your relationship with the, with the intoxicant, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I did feel good uh, having proven to myself that I, that I could survive without being invited to the party. But yes. I still wanted to go to the party. Yes. I still would have preferred to have been invited. And however you're trying to manipul- manipulate me <laughs> into saying that, that 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 famousness or renown uh, is because it is intoxicating is it's at its core somehow evil, I reject your puritanical premise. I,
1: I appreciate the rejection. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't hoping for that. I just wanted to challenge it one last time because
2: I mean, here's the thing. Like the the problem the, the problem with fame isn't that it is it's in in its nature destructive. It is it is intoxicating and it is easy to become addicted to it. And when people lose and this is what the book is about, when people lose status and status can be a, can be defined in a lot of different ways you know it is terrifying and paralyzing and infuriating and you can make bad decisions and do bad things right and but you know one of the things about fame is that it goes away and when you are no longer on the list it is good to know that and to reckon with it and to make adjustments because one thing i think we will agree on is that fame like all forms of, you know, sort of extrinsic status, whether one is assigned, uh, you know, either by uh, 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 an airline, uh, <laughs> or 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 by, you know, the the luck to appear on a hit TV show or movie, or um, you know by virtue of birth, you know, getting that extra status boost of just being born a straight, white, cis male in Western culture. Indeed. Um, you know, all extrinsic st- status, you know, it, it, it is, um, feels good to have, um, but it's something that we all lose from time to time. and And learning how to adjust to um, status decline and feeling worth as your life goes through changes um, and and t- tuning into what is your true internal worth as opposed to the external um, uh, 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 signifiers of worth is mm-hmm. a very
1: important thing to do. Absolutely.
2: So you know that that's what I'm
1: saying. I and I and I d couldn't agree with you more and it would be very hypocritical of me to act like I'm above wanting fame because we I did call you for just that one question. You've only been this, doing this...
2: hundreds of episodes of podcasts about it.
1: It's I mean it's true. obviously something that's um, fascinating to you and I wish I could tell mm-hmm. you
2: I mean, you know, you have you have your own renown now in your world and people, you know, people appreciate and like the work that you do, the kind of fame that we're talking about where, you know, people know you without even knowing you. I wish I could tell you that it was itself something that is, you know, horrible to experience and you wouldn't want it. <laughs> no, no, I don't want great. to be told that. No, it's fantastic. It's fantastic when you, you know, it's nice work if you can get it. And I remember years and years and years ago. You know, kind of having my eyes opened when I was perhaps 15 or 16 and I was taking viola lessons with John Jarko and he was – you know, he knew that I wasn't a serious music student. So we would often just talk about life as much as, you know, practice scales. And I can't remember who he quoted. I believe it was a, a woman blues singer who said, you know, I've been I've been rich and I've been poor and rich is better. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. And yeah. you know,
2: there are, we go through rich times in life. We go through poor times in life, and they're valuable. Um, but there's no sense in not enjoying uh, the experience of those times in life when you are high on the hog, whether with money or attention or praise or whatever it is.
1: Yes. Would you like to tell us about that last recent chateau experience? That you hinted at.
2: Oh yeah. So in the book, in the this is not in the book, so it's not a right. spoiler. But you know, in the book, I basically said I'm, I'm not really going to stay there anymore because, you know, I'm not. Sh- I basically once Phil left, I felt as though, and after that party, I felt as though I might have been stricken from the books. Even that alternate ledger, right? Mm-hmm of of weirdo fans <laughs> yeah. who, who aren't stars, but still kind of like the friends and f- sort of friends and family discount at the hotel. Then I had sort of weaseled my way into that ledger, not actually by weaseling, but just by being decent to people and being grateful for all the, for all the people who worked there and tipping well and, you know, re- re- receiving gifts and giving gifts and maintaining a relationship. It was, you know, it was all phony and fantasy, but it was also, I think, genuine that when, you know, when w- that I got to know people who worked there and I let them know that I was glad to be there and glad to, that they were helping me and, you know, and, be, and being there too, you know. And, and yet I was concerned that, you know, especially with the change of management there that I might have been stricken off that record and the idea of going into that place and not being welcome anymore. Uh was too terrifying <laughs> to contemplate and so i would just avoid going but i went to go see a an acquaintance of mine i dare say a friend now who still works there just when i was in l.a i just dropped by in the afternoon and um it was just like you know they were so really nice to me <laughs> I was like oh you weren't just lying <laughs> it That's wasn't great. all an act like you know, the the a, a lot of the people that I've seen there for many times when I came on, they're like, "How are you doing? What's going on?" Like, it was very sweet, and you know, that is, I call it a castle with lies in the book, but it's not entirely true. There, there, there are, you know, um, you know, you, it was very touching. It was very touching.
1: I yeah, think. and I imagine it would be because being genuinely recognized by name and called by name is it comes up over and over in the book and to have them still be like, hello, John.
2: Yeah, it's, it's, it's a wonderful feeling. And, and also it's a feeling that you can give other people by calling them by name and seeing them and recognizing them. I'm talking about your friends, obviously, and your family, obviously, but the people who are in a service industry, you know, like you gotta be nice to people and you realize we're all human beings. So that was very touching. However, I will, I, I don't. I, I, won't, I don't know if that will change once the book comes out. We'll see. And then the for uh, the other code that's not in the book, I talk about Eisenberg Sandwich Shop, which is where I had breakfast every Friday morning with Jonathan Colton when we were just getting started in New York, and we'd look at all the pictures of the New York celebrities on the wall. And over the years, we both made it onto the wall. And how, you know, time I was feeling really nervous about where I stood in the world, I would go into Eisenberg, terrified that they would have taken down the picture. And then I would see it there. And I, even though it was a terrible picture of me, I would feel relieved. Uh, well, Eisenberg has changed hands since I wrote that. And in fact, all the pictures are gone, including mine. So oh. You win some, you
1: lose some. You do win some and lose some. And that that. isn't very odd that you brought that up. Because the, the intro to the first episode I talk about, uh, I believe it was... Uh, Ray Bradbury talking about writing his first screenplay and being on the opposite side of the wall of fame from when he used to be an autograph hound. And so you right. came off off a wall of fame. Yeah,
2: yeah. It, it, but you know what? The, the slings and arrows <laughs> of misfortune that I suffer are purely metaphoric right now. So I am certainly not complaining, but it is, you know, uh, uh, for, fortunes do change. And that just means to say, if you find yourself in good fortune, appreciate it, and when you when that good fortune fades, either through fault or no fault of your own, um, uh, you know, uh, continue to appreciate it in the past tense, and enjoy whatever is next to come.
1: I I look forward to, to, to word of your pub date and and terrific sales October fifteenth, um, two weeks Sosley from now.
2: medallion status, yeah.
1: Yes, indeed. Uh, thanks, John.
2: Thanks, Jamie. Sorry, this is a little hard to, to configure, but I'm glad we had a chance to talk again, and I'll talk to you later. Talk to you later. All right,
1: bye-bye. Bye-bye. You can order a Medallion Status, as you may have heard, at bit.ly slash medallion status, and I really encourage it and vacation land. I don't plug shit on this show, even though one is supposed to be always be plugging but they're terrific books. If you can't buy them, go to the library. And if you like listening to books, John reads both of them, and that's wonderful too. And they're both on Audible, of course. The quote, I've been poor, I've been rich, rich is better, has been attributed to everyone from Fanny Bryce, Joey e. Lewis, Sophie Tucker, Johnny Hyde, Jack, Herbert, Harold Gray, Bernice, Fitzgibbons, Bob Mankoff, May West, but is supposedly from, originally, one Beatrice Kaufman. You can learn more about this show and find episode one with John Hodgman by searching for Jamie Berger 15 Minutes wherever you cast your pods, or by going to 15 minutes That's 15minutesjamieberger.com. That's one 5 dot com. Please feel free to contact me through there or at 15 Jamie uh all over the internet or on Facebook. You can find John Hodgman on Instagram at John Hodgman, or on Twitter at Hodgman, where he's been doing a lot of live videos because he is ABP, always be plugging. Ed Patnode is our engineer. Our music is by Christian Kandari. This is 15 Minutes, and I am... Jamie Berger.